On to the Africa Business Report, Diana Games, Chief Executive of the business consultancy Africa at Work. Talk to me about the, the this long-awaited great Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, uh, Diana Games. I wish we could get a couple of dams, but certainly in that part of the world, absolutely necessary. Well, it, it really is. I mean, water wars are, are quite a big thing in that part of the world. Well, maybe not wars, not yet anyway. But what's happened is um, this, this has been on the table for more than 10 years. We've had Egypt, uh, Ethiopia, and even Sudan arguing about this dam, you know, it was proposed by Ethiopia. Egypt said you can't do that because most of our water or our, all of our water comes from the Blue Nile, which is where the dam is located. Uh, so what are we going to do when we run out of water and you taking it all up and damming it upstream? So this has been going on for 10 long years and um, there's been threats of war, lots of banging of drums. Uh, the the African Union has got involved, the, the World Bank, the UN, etc. And what's happened is, is basically Ethiopia has just continued building this dam regardless of agreements in place, of efforts to, to pacify the various factions and or countries to and, and to get this thing um, done sort of sustainably for all parties. Uh, you know, they tried to, uh, Egypt and Sudan tried to stop Ethiopia filling the dam. They had agreements in place and all of this, and Ethiopia just continued filling the dam. Uh, and then the idea was that they wouldn't start producing electricity until everybody was on board. But guess what? On Sunday, they turned on the first turbine, and um, they're now starting with about 300, I think it's 375 megawatts. Uh, with a target of 6,500 megawatts, which tells you something about how large this dam is. So um, it's not really clear how this goes forward. I think there's um, obviously Egypt is going to have to be quite creative and Egypt's in a difficult position because they um such a fast growing country. They've got a huge population, lots of new urban centers being built. So the need for water is just growing all the time. But in fact, what they're having is a choke point upstream now in, in Ethiopia, which which is actually turning off quite a lot of the water that they have um, premised their development on. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now. I think that there's, you know, all these threats of war, it's not going to help. I mean, Ethiopia is moving forward. I guess the other countries are just going to have to find some way to deal with this thing. <laughs> and, you know, we often think of of, of um, uh, hydropower as being quite a benign kind of energy. But actually, if you, if, you know, if you look at this, and this is not the only dispute about water in Africa, um, it's probably the biggest one, though. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very, um, it can be a very political issue. And in this case, it certainly is. And I think, I mean, I would say that Egypt does have a good argument, but, um, Ethiopia, you know, we've got a president who's been running a sort of a war on the boundary of his country for some time. He's not someone who seems to give in to public pressure very easily in any case. So maybe this turning on these turbines has, um, is, is a way of getting back in everyone's good books after this awful war that's been going on for some time. I'm not sure. But anyway, it just seems that this thing's marching forward regardless. Uh, it certainly would appear so. Sell, uh, Shell is selling. He sells, she sells. So Shell is selling um, offshore assets in Nigeria. Now, this is fairly significant. I mean, Shell's always been um, capitalizing very significantly on oil in West Africa. Um, how is this changing Shell's relationship with that part of the world? Well, Shell says that this is, Shell has, as you say, a long-term relationship in that part of the world. They've been in Nigeria since 1937 in one form or another. 
And of course, Shell has borne the brunt of a lot of this community protest about um, better distribution of, of resources from the country's oil. Um, they've been at the sort of coal face of, of protests about environmental damage, even though a lot of that damage has also been um, uh, been part, um, caused by the communities. There's been a lot of oil bunkering and theft and, and, and um, damage to pipelines and all of this kind of thing. It's generally been quite a difficult journey for everybody. Um, and now Shell is saying, well, actually, they are moving, diversifying into other areas. They're moving away from oil and they, um, uh, you know, so, so that's why they want to sell. It's the onshore asset. So this is sort of on the, on the land among the communities. Um, so that's what they, you know, there's a $3 billion uh, believed to be assets worth about $3 billion. Um, and uh, it's not the first time this has happened. I think it started in 2014. There's been quite a long history of um, of, of uh, empowerment of Nigerian oil and gas companies through the disposal of onshore assets by Conoco, Phillips, Chevron, uh, all the big majors, ENI, et cetera, um, that, who've also found it quite difficult to be um, on, on in Nigeria and on land, as it were, with the assets on the land. And they've moved into the deep offshore where obviously, you know, communities can't get to them and, and there's crime is less and all of these problems. Um, so you've had a, the rise of really big Nigerian um, oil and gas companies, probably names that are not well known here, but, you know, Seplat, Sahara Energy, Famfor Oil, and there's various others. Um, and they've managed to raise um, over the last sort of eight years or so huge amounts of money offshore, and they have um, bought a lot of these assets. And, and, the, and the empowerment of, of in the oil and gas sector has been quite well supported by um, local content legislation. So actually, it's quite a big success story, um, even though it's driven by maybe some negative factors, which is which is the problems on the in the onshore um, oil and gas in the Niger Delta. Um, it has led to these, the growth of these very large companies and 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 a very large kind of um, growth of of these companies and empowerment and jobs and a whole. Um, a whole lot of different things. So it's an interesting story in the way because of because of uh, of these two um, almost opposing things that's going on. So the deal's a long way from from going ahead. Uh, there's five companies in bidding. They're all local Ni- or Nigerian companies. There's no international players at this stage. So yeah, it, it, it was sort of it is almost the end of an era, I guess, in, in for Shell and and for Nigeria. It's been Shell has been synonymous with Nigeria for so well decades, many decades now. So. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to to see who emerges um, as the winner in that, and that that will be become quite a mega company, I think, in due course. Whoever wins this bid, we've seen huge unpopularity <laughs> certainly in South Africa with regard to Shell um, looking for oil reserves off the Wild Coast, and then they went up the west coast of South Africa, um, and there were objections to that up the coast towards Namibia. And now there has been what they're calling a significant oil and gas discovery off the coast of Namibia. This is interesting. Well, it is interesting um, for several reasons. Uh, the, on, on the actual oil and gas front, they've been exploring offshore Namibia for many years, and they haven't really found, not just Shell, but a lot of different companies, um, haven't actually found very much, but they have persisted um, because of the of the feeling that there there would be reserves there, given the proximity to Angola, which, as you know, is is you know Africa's biggest or second biggest um, oil producer, and it's not far downstream from there, as it were. It's also on the same um, has, has geographical geological sorry similarities to Brazil's 
uh, pre-salt fields, um, which are rich with oil and gas. There's been huge activity in that area. So the idea is that they definitely had something, just nobody could find it. Or, and, and, or they found very limited reserves. And now this has been the first big find that they have, that, that, that has been, um, off the coast of Namibia. And of course, Shell, as you say, you know, <laughs> ever, um, out there pulling out of Nigeria, putting down roots somewhere else. Um, even though they keep saying that, you know, they're moving into renewables, et cetera. But I think the interesting thing, so this could be a handled properly, the caveat, um, it could be a, a game changer for the country with the caveat being, that the, these resources need to be well managed, which we've not really seen much of in these oil producers in Africa, um, and, and attract significant investment. But I think also the other interesting thing is, is that there is this oil and gas um, exploration going on in, in, across, uh, in many countries in Africa, despite all this, um, you know, the COP25 and, and all the, the pressure on, um, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, to sort of dirty resources or energy like, uh, you know, oil and gas, et cetera. So even though there's, there seem to be a, um, the sector is moving into uh, what many predict will be a long-term decline, there is still a lot of activity happening. And, and it introduces another debate about what does Africa do with these riches that it has under the ground? Um, you know, do they leave these hydro, hydrocarbon stranded? Um, or do they, do they exploit them for, for, um, for, for revenues and, and hopefully development? Um, and the argument is that Africa is actually a small part of the bigger problem of emissions globally and that they shouldn't be penalized for exploiting their resources. But I think the bigger issue is will, you know, who will, uh, you know, where is the market going? These are long term games, the long term game, um, producing oil from, you know, we're only at the exploration stage here in Namibia and, and various other countries. So where is this going? And I mean, I think people say gas is, has, has a fairly good future. Um, it's actually the EU has classified gas as sustainable. Um, so I think that there's a softer kind of um, thing there. But um, I think we'll see. I think, the, the, you know, there's a lot of issues around this at the moment. And, and, and that is to do with, with um, you know, global warming and, and all the energy, the shift in the energy and funding space in this, in this sector. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. You know, um, we, we are at the heart of this kind of debate at the moment. And Namibia, of course, now at the, at the front of it, really, with this big find. And South Africa, of course, has its own big find still. Um, we've got the, I think, broad powder, yeah. et cetera. So, you know, what, what, what does Africa do with these resources? So yeah. time will tell. It'll be interesting to see. Absolutely. Diana Games, thank you. She's chief executive of the business consultancy Africa at Work.